That's a great song to uh, lead into this this sermon, uh, you know, because we we've got to admit that uh, many times. Hey, could you turn that down? Maybe just a little bit. We're getting a little bit of ring. Let's see. Yeah, that's, that's better. Thank you. So, yeah, great, great song to lead in the sermon because, you know, a lot of times we want to say, have my own way. You know, let's, let's have it my way. You know, we, we see commercials on television like that, right? You know, have it your way. You know, your, your way is the best. And, uh, you know, it's just not. You know, we, we need to uh, constantly remind ourselves that we need to humble ourselves be, before the Lord and say, have, have your way, Lord. Have your way in my life. My way is not always the best. In fact, it's never or seldom the best. Anyway, as we uh, resume our study of the Gospel of Mark, we're uh, still in chapter 9, uh, starting with verse 30. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to that. And we, you know, we see Jesus as, as the, uh, the rabbi, the teacher to the disciples. They, you know, this, this part starts off with them walking along the road. You know, he's, he's spinning... Uh, time away from the crowds with his disciples and I was thinking about that this week you know a lot of times uh, in the in the rhythm of, of his ministry Jesus needed to uh, just get alone with the father and he would do that it says it was it was his practice it was his it was his routine to do this he would go out into the mountains or into the wilderness and just you know have some personal time with with the father but also sometimes he would just get out with the disciples you know let's get away from the crowds and let's let's just spend some time together let's let's learn let's let's have some uh you know some close intimate fellowship and that's what he's doing and uh you know as long as 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 we've gone along in this book there have been many places where you know jesus has told people not to tell others what he's done with them, you know, for he has his reasons. You know, sometimes the crowds just get out of control. They they press in so hard, and uh, you know the demands of, of the crowd is just too great for him to to accomplish what he's wanting to do. We've seen that uh, you know he he needs this alone time. Even our Lord Jesus needed this alone time with with the Father. And now in Mark. 9:30 he's he's alone with the with the disciples. Read with me starting with uh, verse 30. We'll just read a few verses here. They they went on from there and they passed through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples saying to them the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he's killed after 3 days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and they they were afraid to ask him. You know, this is not the first time that Jesus has told this to his disciples. He's going to remind them again later. But he's, you know, he's, he's teaching the disciples as, as they're walking along. And, uh, you know, this is kind of um, following the example of the, uh, the Jewish tradition based on the commandment in uh, Deuteronomy 6.4. You know, this passage called the Shema. We've, we've read this before. You know, it's very significant and important in, in this passage, you know, uh, it talks about how parents should teach their children in God's word. How 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 the, how the parents 
need to do this. Jesus is, is giving us an example. You know, this, this Shema back in Deuteronomy says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your, mar- your might. And with these words I command you today, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. You know, pretty much in everything you do, in every context, every every location, you know, it should be God's word. It should be his desires for us that we have in, in front of us. And so the pattern that uh, this is talking about is, is teaching along the way. You know, kind of, kind of an informal environment, right? Uh, you know, as you do your everyday activities, walking, you know, it's kind of an informal and personal kind of teaching. It's, it's conversational. It's conversational. You know, I don't know about you, but some of the best conversations I've had with, with my wife have been when we were out hiking or when we're out on a walk, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's comfortable, you know, it's, it's, it's got kind of a, kind of a casual feel to it. You know, it's not like, okay, let's, I want you to sit down and I'm, you know, let's sit down. We got to talk. It's just, you know, along the way, along the way we talk and, um, you know, it's just natural, natural for conversation when you're, when you're walking with somebody and, you know, the disciples need to learn a, a lesson here about pride and humility. And we're going to see three different things today where, where Jesus is teaching this, this lesson. Uh, we're going to look at three ways in which uh, pride can reveal itself, how pride can manifest itself. The first one, you know, here's, here's Jesus. He's walking along with his disciples. And this is a lesson for all of us too. Yeah, we're going to look at... Uh, the first form of pride, uh, pride we might, or, or you know, manifestation, evidence. Uh, the first one is fear. You might say, well, how, how could that be? How can, how can fear be a, a, a manifestation of pride? Well, track with me here. You know, Jesus is once again bringing up the idea that he's going to be killed. He's going he's gonna to rise again on the, on the third day. And, you know, apparently this is one of the things that just is not sinking in with disciples. You know, and it requires repetition. Uh, remember the first time he brought this up, what happened? Peter had just said a few verses before, you are the Christ. You know, Jesus said, who, who do you say I am? You are the Christ. And Jesus said, you know, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the Spirit of God has revealed to you who I am. And then almost immediately when Jesus starts talking about uh, what's going to happen in the future, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, he's going to ra- be raised from the dead, and Peter rebukes him. He says, no, you, th- that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And anyway, uh, you know, on the way down from the mountain, Jesus mentioned this. They didn't understand. They didn't even ask him about it. And here again, they're confused. It says they were afraid to ask him. They didn't understand, and they were afraid to ask. Why were they afraid? You know, do you suppose they were afraid to ask him because of, you know, the last time when Peter rebuked him? 
Peter got uh, a pretty stern rebuking himself. You know, maybe they, they were too proud to ask. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe they were afraid of looking bad to the other disciples. You know, each one saying, well, I'm not going to ask him. I'll, w- I'll wait for somebody else, you know. Uh, look what happened to Peter, you know, when he was the first one to, to blurt it out. You know, I'm, I'm sure Peter wasn't going to ask him. Peter's saying, uh-huh. And, you know, um, there's, there's a good possibility, as, as we discussed this a few weeks ago, that uh, they did not want to hear about Jesus suffering and dying. He, Jesus had told them, you know, follow me. You know, the first contact he had with them, he said, follow me. That means, you know, they're going to go with him to the places that he's going to go. The things that are going to happen to him are the things that are going to happen to them. They might be afraid of what's going to happen. You know, Jesus had talked about, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross. That instrument of death, take up your cross and follow me. You know, this idea of, of dying. Dying to yourself, you know. Surely these words had begun to sunk, to sink in with the uh, the disciples. You know, their their pride kept them from asking. It showed itself in fear. You know, fear maybe of being inconsequential. Fear of exposing their weakness. Fear of exposing their ignorance. Fear of appearing small. Fear of what might happen to them. So. You know, instead of asking Jesus about his death and resurrection, which is probably what they should have done, they find something else to talk about. They, and, and then, you know, they, they fall into the second manifestation of, of pride, which is personal arrogance and, and rivalry. Let's continue our reading in, in verse 33, see how this plays out. They, they came to Capernaum, and we, when he was in the house, he asked them, what, are you dis- what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And Jesus sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and, and put him in the midst of them and Taking him in the arms, he said to them, whoever receives such a child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but he who sent me. You know, so they, they're in Capernaum. They got to Capernaum. They're on the, you know, the, the town on the northern shore of the, the Sea of Galilee where Jesus had called Simon and Andrew and, and James and John, kind of going back to where, where this all started. In chapter 1, it was Simon and Andrew's house where Jesus had healed Simon's mother-in-law, Simon Peter. You know, there's a good chance this is the same house that they're meeting in now. And once inside, Jesus asked them this question. What are you guys talking about out there? Yeah, they must have been kind of hanging back. And, uh, yeah, you got to feel for these poor disciples. He just says, they remain silent. You know, they were, I think they were ashamed to tell him what they were talking about. <laughs> you know, who, who, who's, who's greatest? You know, who's greatest? Of course he knew. He was, he was God. He knew what they'd been talking about. You know, but this is a prime teachable moment. And it's significant that he sits them down this time. This is a more formal training session. 
It's like, okay, we had the, we had the casual personal talk. Let's, let's sit down and, and get to business here because this is important. This is a lesson that I want to teach you guys. Prime teachable moment. Now, I don't know if anybody in here has ever watched the, uh, the Andy Griffith show. You know, where we, so we've got Andy Taylor, you know, the, the sheriff of Mayberry. He's got this little son, Opie. And, you know, many times throughout this series, you know, the whole point of, of the episode is Andy teaching his son, Opie, a, a valuable lesson. And, uh, you know, he, he's, Andy is just so full of wisdom and patience and kindness. Jesus is even more so. He, he does not rebuke the disciples here. Notice that. But he teaches them gently. And so, you know, he, he's taking the more formal posture of a, of a teacher, sitting down. Sitting down, he gathered them around him. And, you know, you can, you can just imagine the, the uneasiness. You know, these 12 guys just kind of sitting here looking at him and looking at each other. And Jesus tells them something. It's a it's a kingdom principle, uh, very very counter to how we are, very very much different from the the natural way of of thinking that that we have. You know, he tells them this. He says, "Whoever is greatest is going to be is going to be the least." You know, the the one who. The one who comes first is the one who's going to be last. The one who comes last is, is the one who's, who's going to be first. He's going to be the servant of all. Be great by going low and being a servant. You know, and we know that's exactly what Jesus did. But he takes the way we normally think about greatness and he just completely turns it on its head. You know, and he... He demonstrates this by, by a, a picture, very very tangible picture. He it says he, he took a child. I don't know who this child was, but he's somebody who's hanging around. Uh, you know, why does Jesus use this example of a child? Innocence. You know, in, in uh, first century Middle East society, children had a very low social status. You know, they were not important. They did not have a, a high standing in society. But, you know, Jesus includes them as part of the all that he says we should serve. It's our job to serve children. He gives them a special place. Uh, you know, serving a child is, is selfless. What can a child give back? Nothing. It's, when, when you serve a child, it's, it's an act of love. It's not, a, it's not an act of self-exaltation. Look how great I am. You know, Jesus said, if you receive a child in his name, you receive him. If you receive him, you receive the Father who sent him. You know, this is a great affirmation, by the way, of uh, believers who, who serve children in churches and children's ministry. Uh, some of you have heard of... Francis Schaeffer. Uh, I don't know if you know a lot about him, but he, you know, he he wrote these very um, deep books 
on philosophy and, and theology and, you know, really appealed to, you know, older, more mature people, uh, people who were, you know, deep thinkers. But I've read that he had a very strong conviction about children. He, he worked very hard to, to minister to children, setting up children's ministry. And I, I read somewhere, I couldn't find it, but I read somewhere that uh, he would just melt in the presence of a child. He just had that much love for, for children and so much of a heart of a servant for children, very selfless. You know, the point is that true greatness is not achieved by serving self, but by serving others, you know, all others, all others, putting, putting everybody else's needs above our own. The, the Apostle Paul says in uh, Philippians 2, 3 to 4, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Can we do that? Count others as more significant than ourselves? Yeah, we, we, tend, to, we tend to ask, well, what's in it for me? You know, if I'm going to do something for somebody else, what are they going to do for me? You know, that's not the attitude that uh, Jesus has or had or wants us to have. You know, we, we, I think, and I think we tend to pick and choose who we're going to serve, right? This is, this is a form of pride. This, is, this in itself is a form of pride, but, you know, Jesus is the greatest one, is the one who is the least, the one who's going to serve all. You know, Paul makes a great statement in Romans 12.3 about this too. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Sober judgment. He's saying, let's take this seriously. Yeah, I'm not just throwing out empty words. I'm not throwing out platitudes you know seriously think about it seriously are we considering every person every other person is more significant than ourselves you know that's a challenge for us so personal arrogance rivalry these are uh, these are a problem another problem we can have another another manifestation of pride is you know, going beyond the personal and, and to the collective, having collective pride and rivalry. You know, we, we might call this tribalism. You know, this is where we think that anyone who's not one of us is wrong. They're, they're inferior in some way. You know, anyone who's, who's not part of our group is maybe in some way our, our enemy. You know, this, this kind of pride says, we're better, we're better. You know, right on the heels of Jesus' instruction on personal pride, you know, this, this situation arises that, that puts the disciples to the test once again on this area. You know, another teaching moment, another teaching moment. Look at verses 38 through 41. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. And Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a a mighty work in my name 
will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for the one who's not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his, his reward. And so, uh, you know, this is a passage that should challenge us all. You know, I think that many of us, when we read this, we might look at John and, and kind of relate to him and think in, along the same lines and understand why he's saying this. You know, he's, he's saying, okay, Jesus, we're with you. You chose us. You sent us out with the authority to, to teach and preach and to uh, cast out demons. And now here's this, this other guy. He's, he's not with us. He's not one of us. We don't know who this guy is. We don't know where he came from. Maybe, maybe they did know. But, you know, they say, Lord, he's not one of us. Rebuke him. You know, we might, we might relate to this because of, of some of the abuses we've seen. You know, there's some people doing some crazy things out there. I think, you know, maybe, maybe we can read this and imagine this guy's some kind of crackpot, uh, you know, some, somebody who knows nothing about Jesus, somebody who's just out there doing things on his own. Maybe, you know, maybe he's a fraud. Uh, but we would be wrong in this case. You know, if he was a fraud, Jesus would not have given him his, his endorsement. Let's, let's look at some other passages, you know, because there are passages in the Bible where there are those who are frauds. And they're squarely rebuked. Uh, let's look at Matthew seven twenty one through 23. Jesus talks about these people. He says, not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does my will, or the will of, the, of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, I, did, did not we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He's talking about people who don't know him. He's talking about people who he does not endorse because they're not doing it in his name. They're doing it in their name. They're doing it for recognition and power and money and, and you know, things like that. You know, we have a story in the, the book of Acts in chapter 19 where we have the... Uh, these guys, seven of them, they're the sons of Sceva, Sceva a, a Jewish high priest. And these seven sons were invoking the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped upon them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So, you know, another, another case of somebody who is a fraud, someone who is not acting in the name of Jesus. But, so let's, let's get back to Mark. Okay. So we know there's, a, there's people like that out there. And, you know, I think that John and the other disciples feel like this guy's one of them. So what's going on that this guy would get Jesus' uh, affirmation and approval? I think the answer is that he is, a true, he is a true disciple. He does know Jesus. You know, we, we need to remember that Jesus had other disciples besides 
that inner circle? You know, Jesus does not see this guy as someone who is speaking falsehood or evil about him. You know, this, this man, according to Jesus, was doing a mighty work in his name. Um, it's kind of a weird story, huh? You know, the demons were being cast out in, in Jesus' name, and Jesus is saying, this guy's legitimate. You know, he's the real deal. He, you know, he might not have been part of the smaller group, but he was a follower of Jesus. He was a true disciple. Um, there's a story in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Numbers that kind of reminds me of this story. Let's, let's take a rabbit trail here and look at that. We'll get back to this. In Numbers 11, 26 through 29. Do you remember this story? Uh, two men retained in the camp, one named Eldad, the other Medad, and the spirit rested upon them. And they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tents, so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son, the son of Nun, an assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. Do you remember this? Moses said, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit in all of them. You know, we, we have to fight against this idea of exclusivity. Tribalism. We, we don't know who this guy is back in Mark. You know, we don't, we don't know anything about him. We don't know anything about what's going on there. But, you know, just in the, in the same way that Moses said, you know, don't stop them. The spirit of the Lord is on them. I think Jesus is saying the same thing here. Well, here's a thought. And this is, this is something I, I think Alistair Begg said this. Just kind of a speculation, but it's, 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 worth, it's worth considering. I, I think it's intriguing. You know, consider where they are. They're, they're in Capernaum on the north shore of the uh, Sea of Galilee. And, you know, they're not too far from where Jesus cast the demons out of that man who was chained up. Remember that? That he had the legion of demons and Jesus cast them out and they went into the, uh, the herd of, of swine and, you know, the pigs jumped over the cliff. That guy, remember? Do you remember what happened afterward? That guy wanted to go with Jesus. He said, yeah, Lord, I want to come with you. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, no, I want you to go back to your home. Go back to your town and tell people what the Lord has done. Do you remember him? Um, you know, it said, it said the man was in his right mind after Jesus had cast the, uh, the demons out of him. Do you suppose this might have been that guy? It's kind of in the same area. This guy certainly knew about demons. You know, he, he experienced the horror of being possessed himself. He knew of the power that Jesus had over demons. Yeah, it's, it's speculative. We have no way of knowing, but I think I think it'd be cool if this was that guy. You know, I I, I kind of like to think maybe he was. You know, the real less the real lesson here, though, is that you know we can collectively be arrogant. We can have rivalry with people who are not part of our group. Uh, you know, this can this can be harmful. 
it can be harmful uh, when we, we get too much into uh, denominationalism. You know, we're the uh, Evangelical Free Church of America. Uh, I'm not ashamed of that. You know, I, I, I stand with the uh, churches in the Evangelical Free Church of America because, America because of who, who we stand for and what we stand for. I have no problem with that. But, you know, there are other people that are not EFCA. You know, we, we, can, we can be guilty of uh, sectarianism, you know, being, being exclusive ourselves. Uh, you know, we can worship and fellowship with, with other believers as long as we all agree on the, the main things. You know, one of, the, one of the things that we say as the EFCA is, you know, we've, we major on the major and we minor on the minors. You know, there, there are many other uh, secondary peripheral issues that, that we might disagree on but you know what we can talk about that we can we can debate these issues we can we can disagree without being disagreeable and still you know receive them as brothers and sisters in in Christ major on the majors minor on the minors you know of course that requires us to uh, identify those things which are the the essentials of the faith uh, what are the essentials let's, let's just run through those real quick here you know, the essentials include who God is, who God is. You know, we believe there is one God, creator of all things, existing in three persons, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus Christ is fully God, but he's fully, fully man. When he came, uh, he came as a man. There's salvation in no other name. The only way to come to the Father is by Jesus Christ. By receiving him as our savior, by by receiving him as a, a savior to forgive us of our sins, believing and receiving. You know, John said those who believed in him and received him, he gave the power to become the children of God. Those who repent and believe are, are born of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they receive the gift of eternal life. They become children of God. They become adopted into the family of God. No salvation without Christ. God has revealed himself fully in, in Jesus. He's given us his inerrant word, the Bible, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, the same Holy Spirit who, who gives us eternal life, being born of the Spirit. He's, he's the, the Holy Spirit who inspired the Bible. God speaks to us through his written word because that's from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent. He, he indwells us, those who have been born again. You know, these are the important things. You know, anybody who disagrees with those things, I think we would have uh, some problems with. You know, we, we would have some pause you know, there, there are many other points and details uh, that I'm missing in this short description. That's just the the, the big picture. Yeah, the, the important things. Um, maybe we'll do a sermon series sometimes about the uh, sometime about the essentials of the faith. That might be a good one to to go through. But you know, the important thing is that we we are united. We should be united. We should have unity with with uh, other believers who are proclaiming along with us, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Paul, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 6, he, he says, well, here, here's the gospel. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. You know, that's saying by God's plan. This was God's plan from the beginning that he would redeem a, a sinful human race. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. He said in the Old Testament prophecy, this is going to happen. Read Isaiah 53, and you'll see that. And he appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve and many others. Uh, you know, but you know, we can be so narrow, we can be so exclusive, so sectarian that uh, we reject those who, who might be right in the center of God's will and, and are being used by him for his purposes. Um, it's kind of interesting. Google, you know, you can you can you can search all kinds of things and find all kinds of things, and you know, you can you can you can come up with think of any great man or woman of God who was mu- who was used by God to do amazing things, people mightily used by God, and you can find somebody on the internet who's saying that person was a heretic. You know, that person was a false teacher. It's a shame that we act that way. Let's not do it. You know, it's it's the same trap. He's not one of us. And, uh, you know, some of these these self-appointing, self-appointed critics can uh, reject someone based on who they hang out with. You know, well, I'm I'm not going to fellowship with somebody who's willing to fellowship with this other person. You know, you, you can you can end up with a an infinite chain of reasons for rejecting people. Now, having said all that, let me throw out a word of caution. You know, we do need discernment. We we do need to uh, look at God's word and and measure every teaching against God's word because there is a lot of false teaching. We do need to know what God has, has said to us in his, in his word. You know, we, we, need to rec- we need to recognize there are areas of disagreement in how we understand certain issues. We cannot expect to agree on, it, on every little point, though. You know, what the, what the disciples failed to realize was, as they were saying, he's not one of us, Lord rebuke him. What they don't realize is that he is one of them. He is a fellow disciple. Uh, a collective arrogance and, and rivalry and sectarianism uh, destroys the unity of the body of Christ. You know, tribalism is, is it's like an autoimmune disease in, in the human body. You know, we're the body of Christ. You know, what is an autoimmune disease? disorder do that's where some cells in the body seek to destroy other ones that are you know there's nothing wrong with them they're good and it hurts the body that's where the body's trying to destroy itself Um, I'm reminded of uh, Garrison Keillor you may remember him Lake Wobegon days Uh, he he lived in Minnesota and uh, in, in that part of the country, 
you know, most everybody's either Lutheran or Catholic because of their, their heritage, you know, where, where their ancestors came from in, in Germany. But his family was not. They were brethren. They were, they, they called themselves sanctified brethren. They were exclusive brethren. They were really good at the exclusivity part. Uh, the, the sect they were, that his family was in was so tiny that nobody but God knew they existed, he says. He says, he says, we were exclusive brethren, a branch that believed in keeping itself pure of false doctrine by avoiding association with the impure. We made sure that any who fellowshiped with us were straight on all the details of the faith as set forth by the first brethren who left the Anglican Church in 1865 to worship on the basis of, of correct principles. And, you know, he's not really kidding here. He, he really did come from that kind of environment. And um, just so many splintered sects of, of that, that movement. Um, yeah, I wonder how many church splits have happened, how many denominational splits have happened in our country over, over the years. Um, I don't know. I, the, the number's got to be big. Yeah, how, many, how many church splits have there been in, in Chihuahua in this valley? I'm not aware of them all, but I know there have been a lot. There have been a whole lot. This church has had three. Because of tribalism, because of people throwing stones at, at fellow believers and you know, calling them heretics. Uh, we, have, we have people calling our church a cult. You know, this is how the world deals with disagreements. Let's, let's never go with the world's way. In, in our attitudes and our actions toward, towards others, you know, humility will serve us well. We, we we can't succumb to this collective rivalry and and arrogance, the, the tribalism. Uh, you know, a good principle is this. Um, you probably heard this. I don't know where it comes from, but it's it's a good good thing to say you know in essentials unity in non-essentials liberty in all things charity you know let let all you do be done in love that's what the bible says so you know we we need to love the stone throwers you know we we need to we need to just let god deal you know if there are brothers and sisters let God deal with them. Let's let's never grow weary of doing good. Let's do all we do in love. So, you know, let me close by saying, uh, you know, we need to see that true greatness does not come by elevating ourselves. Uh, it comes from humility. What a great lesson this this part of Mark nine is on on pride and, and humility. You know, year, years after the uh, events recorded here, Peter himself said this. This is uh, from First Peter 5, 5 through 7. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, 
casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Beautiful passage. So, yeah, we don't achieve greatness by being arrogant and proud. We just, we knock ourselves down if we do that. Uh, You know, not as individuals, not as a group together with others. You know, following Jesus' example, we need to be humble servants. You know, submitting to him, submitting to others, willing willing to put everybody else above ourselves. You know, can, uh, Paul, Paul says we need to outdo each other in showing honor. You, could you imagine if we actually did that? There, there wouldn't be church splits. Jesus gave us the example. Greatness comes from being a humble servant. That, that passage in, in Philippians 2, one of my favorite passages talks about putting on humility just like Jesus did, have the same attitude, the same mind that, that Jesus had. You know, he humbled himself. He became a servant. He left his home in heaven and became a man and suffered and died for us. You know, can we do that? The true greatness is, is from loving. It comes from loving one another, serving one another. It comes from acting to encourage one another, build each other up. It comes from outdoing each other and showing honor. May we follow the Lord's example in that. We, we, need, we need that. Well, let's pray. Um, I love, Danny that, and Gretchen, that you picked that song before we started, Have Thine Own Way. You know, that's a, <clears throat> that's a song that says, Lord, we come to you. We bow down before you in, in humility. Lord, you've heard the, uh, the desires of, of our heart. Lord, we, we humbly submit ourselves to you. Lord, have, have your own way. We, we so often get it wrong, Lord. We, we elevate ourselves out of fear, out of jealousy and rivalry and our, our own pride and, and arrogance, whether we do it individually or, or as a group, Lord, we, we are prone to that. Lord, we are so prone to, to wander away from how you would have us be. So, Lord, we pray that you would continue, Lord, to, to work in us, to conform us not to the image of the world, but to the image of Christ. Lord, help us to have that, that same attitude, that same attitude, the attitude of a, of a servant, Lord. Let your love rule in our hearts and our minds and our, our actions uh, daily, hourly, minute by minute, Lord. Let us do all we do out of love for you and out of love for, for each other. And we, we just pray this. In the name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us, our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.